Hey everybody, Dave Lindbergh in Hong Kong with another episode of THT Podcast. Uh, it's our weekly podcast talking about uh, whatever audio technologies that we like and want to talk about. So please, I hope you're subscribed to this channel. Um, we do this every Monday at 9.15 a.m. Eastern. Uh, tonight's guest is a company headquartered in Italy with uh, a factory in China. So they bring the expertise of Italian engineering in loudspeakers, which these guys tell us is the best in the world. So we're going to find out all about that. This is kind of a virtual factory tour on this episode. So uh, please note that you'll find out all about uh, what they do and how everything's made and all their QC processes. So without uh, further delay, please uh, enjoy the podcast. So joining us as always is our co-host, Mr. Simon Weston. How are you doing this evening, Simon? Still in Japan, so can't complain. Yeah, all right. And Tom Janes, the business development manager for the Americas, joining us from the Kentucky area of uh, the U.S. How are you doing today, Tom? Doing well, Dave. Thanks for having us on today. All right. Yeah, great to have you. And Kevin Shove, the international sales director of Lavoce, based in the U.K. Hey, Kevin, nice to uh, have you on our show. How's it going? Yeah, good, thank you. Yes, yeah, very good. We're uh, very pleased to, to be doing this with you guys. All right, that's great. So, um, yeah, Lavoce, we we see them at the NAM show and uh, and and the, the big big speakers uh, kind of out on display. And I think there's a history in automotive with a headquarters in Italy and now a presence in China. Um, so uh, maybe Kevin, you could tell us a bit about the history of the company and uh, maybe mm -hmm. run through a presentation, give us some talking points to uh, to jump off from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, we. <clears throat> Lavoci, I think, um, arrived on the scene as a brand in 2012, but our heritage goes back a, long, a lot more than, than that. But um, I know our competitors have been keenly watching what we've been up to, especially over the last five years or so, because we've kind of engineered ourselves to be a really serious player within the transducer market. And um, so we're, we're enjoying some success and obviously challenges along the way. So uh, it'll be good to kind of explain our company in a bit more detail okay would you uh would you like to run through some slides yeah sure let me just get this up and running okay cool well listen lavochi is is our brand name um and um it, uh, it means the voice in italian um, but it's also the name of our facility in in china um we in this slide, you'll see innovators by tradition. And um, this was a hook line that we, we took on at the beginning because we actually, we're, we're not just 10 years old. You know, our, our parent company is nearly 34, 35 years old. Um, so we're not the new kid on the block as, 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 as much as people think we are. And, um, and also, also recently, the, the Pure Potenza line here is really a nod towards our R&D centre in Italy because it's based. Uh, our HQ is based in Potenza Picena in uh, in Italy, and um, so we 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 want people to understand that we're really designing Italian, you know, design products, but um, manufactured at our facility in China. So, and in terms of what we produce, we are you know really focused on the pro audio industry and the MI industry in terms of supplying higher power transducers for, for anything that's kind of a portable product install or, or touring sound system for high capacity venues. So, um, okay. so why don't I, I dive straight in? Um, so as I, as I mentioned, we have two companies, um, Electromedia in Italy, um, nearly 35 years old, and their history really spans back to mobile electronics, so car audio, but they, they now engineer amplification, speakers, cabling for anything that moves, basically. Um, so they do motorsports, motorbikes, marine speakers for boats now, because um, they're all associated. And um, Electromedia is really the heart of our business. So we have our R&D center there um, for all of our business. And uh, it's also the strategic head office for Lavochi in terms of our planning and uh you know input for the for, for, for sales and development is is there any production in italy still at all 
No, no. And, no. and our company uh, may have done some production in the early days, but it's, it's always been a design engineering house, if you like, and then outsourcing to third party manufacturers, which is an interesting point because that's where Lavochi came from, really. Um, you know, we were, uh, our company in Italy was, you know, focused on the car audio industry, mobile electronics and outsourcing their designs for speaker speakers um, and transducers and decided that actually you know if we want to become very successful we should make our own uh, and so through obviously lots of contacts in the industry we partnered with a very big um, transducer manufacturer in, in China who specialize in kind of small transducers I mean they're I don't know what their turnover is but I mean it's huge compared to us and they really helped us out in terms of setting up a, a production plant in China in partnership but the really important thing is that in 2016, um, our president bought out that shareholding by this Chinese company, um, which they were perfectly happy with because we, we were small fry compared to their mm -hmm. business interests. And so when we're pitching to our customers, you know, it's a really important point that we, are, that we own our, facility, our production facility in China. Um, it's a, a, hundred, you know, a wholly owned subsidiary of our Italian company. So it's Italian manufacture, European production standards, but in China. So we offer all the logistics and cost benefits of, of Chinese manufacture. Okay. And this production, um, and, and, and this, sorry, this production plant is 100% transducers only. You know, we okay. don't make any finished goods. Okay. And that's uh, just so everybody knows, that's not far from Shanghai geographically. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's in a, a city called Jiashan and it's uh, a really high investment um city you know it's got it's just had a speed rail put in between pudong and and the city center so it's a it's a really it's a good resource for also for for staff and and, and components actually okay yeah and so and so just to just to summarize <clears throat> at this facility we manufacture our own car audio speakers and obviously the pro audio speakers that we pitch for our lavochi project if you like hmm. okay so in terms of the products we, our group manufactures, um, our mobile electronics division is um, completely dedicated to our own brands. So we don't build for anyone else. And uh, our brands are Hertz and Alderson. And they are um, pretty much revered in the industry as being innovators for technology and moving the market forward. And, um, you know, the, the product's very elegant very car audio, but it's Italian design and very well received as a, you know, a leader in its, in its mid to high end um, positioning. Okay. And in terms of Lavochi, um, we, we, we manufacture woofers mid range, anything from one inch up to a 21 inch subwoofer. Um, and uh, we have probably around 150 products. So this is our, this is our core business, but for Lavochi, we don't, we're not really involved in the car audio side of the business. You know, it's a, it's a different division managed by a whole different team. So me and Tom are completely focused on just the pro audio transducers. Okay. Do you think that the design parameters for car audio differs significantly from pro audio? Is there much crossover? I think um, I think it, it's different in terms of its application because obviously cars have a different um you know space to to manage mm. you know to try and get the positioning and the staging and you know the acoustic performance um differently so and and we and we're obviously also building electronics as well so it's a slightly different mindset but in terms of the acoustic standards in terms of what we're trying to achieve they're they're similar mm. you know we're, we're, we're trying to make high quality premium product that you know, looks good on paper, but also looks, you know, sounds fantastic when it's in, in its application. So um, we share, you know, we, we have a team of R&D, we'll talk about our R&D team soon, but, um, you know, and we, they tend to share, they could work on a car audio project or they could work on a pro audio project. Okay. You know, we have some dedicated pro audio guys, but there are some that might float between both, both divisions because the goals are very similar. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just that where there are, the products end up are obviously different and have diff slightly different challenges. So this is a, a picture of our company in Italy. Um, as I say, it's uh, nearly 35 years old. And um, 
we employ around 75 people here and and it's the heart of our R&D and, uh, you know, where we make our strategy, if you like. Um, a key point here is in 2019, we, we spent a significant amount of money uh, developing our R&D facilities. Uh, you know, that's for our own benefit, obviously, for our own brands, but also for our, our customers, because, you know, we, 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 we want to be seen as a, a center of excellence when it comes to R&D and engineering capability, especially when we're trying to sell to some big name pro audio brands, you know, we, we, they have to know that we have all the resources and all the, the technology and the spaces and the measurement facilities that we can do that at our base in Italy, you know? So it's, uh, it's a, it's, it's an impressive place. Okay. So in terms of the team there, um, there's a couple of pictures of the internal of our R&D uh, space. We, we have a, a dedicated research team. So this is really important because obviously we have electroacoustic engineers who do a great job, but we've also got a dedicated team that, that we, we, we task with, you know, improving um, our ability to enhance product performance or development, you know, tools within the company. Um, you know, they're all PhD-based uh, level guys that, that are far more intelligent than I when it comes to this kind of stuff. But um, well, we're very lucky because, uh, you know, we've, we've also got a good pool of talent in Italy. You know, ironically, Italy is really the home of transducers um, for, you know, if you looked at where most of the, brand, the bigger brands come from in the pro audio industry, it's, it's Italy. Um, right. So there's a good pool of resource as well. Um, we have obviously lots of, design tools, lots of software available. Um, we, we, we use Comsol a lot uh, as part of our simulation software. Um, and uh, Tom, in a second on the next slide, we'll, we'll talk a bit about some customized applications that we've developed ourselves, you know, to, to, to emphasize our ability with this system. Um, and of course we use other typical tools. If you're in the transducer design world, most of these are quite familiar. Um, you know, all our competitors, I'm sure will have all of these these kind and, of products from and, and just kind of a, perhaps an odd question but it seems like for automotive you'd probably get a lot of you have a lot of restrictions on the size of of where you can put the transducers so you're you're engineering with some restrictions um, with pa speakers you're kind of engineering to optimize performance so it's kind of a slightly different mindset so back to what simon asked earlier it sounds like it'd be kind of too two different directives on developing for automotive versus like a PA or, or amplifier, like guitar amp type application, would you say? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think it, it, in terms of their application, they're very different. You know, cars are quite restrictive in what can be achieved. You know, space is limited. Um, you're inherently very close to speakers and so forth. So in that respect, yes, definitely. Um, you know, we when, when we're designing the components, we obviously still have pretty much standard or you know directives or or targets to achieve in terms of their quality performance expectation but maybe they're slight they're shaped slightly to to, to meet uh, a slightly different enclosure or you know positioning in a car and so forth so yeah it would be a different approach but that would be part of their the product brief when when the guys start the development right okay so um as I say, you know, we, we use common tools, Loudsoft, Comsol, Clipple, um, as part of our development process. Um, and, and what's really, really important when we're talking with, um, you know, our customers, especially our, our pro audio brands, you know, we, we want to take on a project, develop the project and um, deliver a simulation, if you like, of, of their target parameters in the fastest and, and leanest way. And, um, and that's where um, this console system um, has really, really done wonders for us. So I'll just flick over to the next slide and then mm. over to you, Tom, to give us a little bit more background on this, right. this uh, system. Sure. And uh, if, if my gray beard does not date me, my uh, comments now will. I, <laughs> I started this... I am a I'm a transducer engineer myself, despite the the business de development role, and so I've been doing this since 1986. And uh, the industry's come a long way. The the tools have come a long way. Um, you know, my my initial 
uh, you know, software resources where a, uh, you know, uh, an RPN calculator, if you're familiar with those, you know, the old, uh, eight, you know, reverse Polish notation calculators, we pulled data in from uh, tables and nomographs, you know, and, and manually punched into handwritten programs. And and now we look at what what's available today. Uh, ComSol, of course, has kind of become the industry standard for uh, modeling. Uh, and, and, and of course, you can model many things. You, you see, we've got four uh, specific areas here. There's also uh, a thermal modeling that's, that's available and, you know, structural mod modeling with a basket. The beauty of what Lavoche has done is integrate all of these so that you know, in, in the past, you would use a particular program, you would pull, you know, data from that, try to translate it, maybe use Excel and, and handshake between programs. But ComSol is, uh, is a multi-physics application. I'm sure you guys, are, you know, are aware of the company and, and like companies, they're, they're competitors out there. And, uh, and it's just significantly, you know, reduced the time uh, to market with a, with a new product. Um, the, the, the beauty of what uh, our team has done is there in the second bullet point is we have a, a GUI that's driving the front end of ComSol so that each engineer, you know, ComSol is a learning curve if you've used the program. Uh, and so this, this enables any, any transducer design engineer to input data into the, the ComSol engine room, if you will, and be able to get results quickly without having, you know, to, to be a PhD software engineer, uh, which we have on staff. That's who's written our, uh, our programs for us. Uh, very, very nice uh, resource to have. And so, you know, starting with the top right, you know, you've got electromagnetic design. Um, you know, again, years ago, you would, you know, you would do, um, you know, once the advent of uh, fine element modeling would come about, you would take that and then you may hand that over to another program. But, you know, with, with our capability here, um, you know, especially for a new product, I'll, I'll say that, you know, if you've got an existing product line and you want to make a tweak, you know, we all know that's, you know, pretty easy to, to model. Um, but if you're starting from scratch and you're designing a new product, say a new voice call platform for some of our larger subwoofers, uh, you don't have a baseline to work from. Uh, you, you have material properties. And with this, with everything being integrated here, um, you know, any, any change that you make to the motor structure, you, you can then look at how that affects the impedance plot, you know, the inductance, um, obviously, you know, thermal management. And then, you know, the, the bottom two there are suspension and vibroacoustics. So we can, um, you know, predict the response of the loudspeaker based upon co-materials. Um, and and as, if you're working on a specific uh, project for, you know, customers ask you to do something very, detailed say he has uh, a system performance uh, specification for a subwoofer you know he wants an f3 of you know 35 in this box well as you see you know on the lump parameters window there we you know you can actually do that in comsol and the, the information is available in the integrated app and and so we can design the speaker to his performance targets instead of you know throwing it across the wall and letting him model that we we know ahead of time and and the beauty of this thing is, you know, we're talking 95% accuracy uh, mm. with this this new uh, method. Uh, I, I don't and, know. Uh, Tom, uh, Comsol is actually a general purpose uh, uh, modeling tool. It's not specific for speakers, is that right? That that is correct. That is correct. Yeah. Many industries use this software. Yeah. So what what you actually do is you have to build your own uh, interfacing or, or or framework to run it. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Or again, I've used similar programs and you're, you're just pulling up, you know, once you once you have the CAD in there, you, you have to identify everything, material properties and, and input a lot of information. And that's that's what this this uh, GUI does for the team is it, it minimizes the, the pain of having to get everything set right. You know, we've got some specific material properties and uh, and some some blanks to fill out for you know to to input this you know once you have the the uh, 3D CAD in there so it's it's you know when I joined the team uh, I was meeting with the uh, the PhD engineer and I just looked at him and smiled because this is like the holy grail of speaker design you know I I wish I'd had this tool years ago you know I've worked in automotive I worked in in PA and some consumer products and and you know this this is this is it you know that uh, 
it's it significantly shortens you know your period to to get to a, a, a product and uh, and again only a five percent error so it's it's really amazing that uh, this capability is uh, available for us to develop product in this manner okay yeah no and, and definitely from from a customer perspective if if we deliver them a simulation and they say yeah we like it you know we absolutely want to deliver a physical prototype that is you know that, that replicates that because that that's the skill set that's the trust that that they um you know we want them to have in our development capabilities so yeah this is a really really valuable tool and well, the team you know, you know are using it every day and it's you know when we say five percent error you know the production tolerances for a transducer can be you know five to ten so it's it's that's how accurate it is mm. just due to you know due to component tolerances yeah absolutely yeah and just one, one other thing i think that the other thing that's really useful is that you can you can you can do a virtual prototype but actually we can simulate many or an infinite number and overlay the results to really do a fast comparison um so it's uh, it's really 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 useful and um so what what kind of key uh, outputs do you get from the comsol simulation frequency response or what what yes. i mean that would be yeah. the obvious no. thing is there other sure. characteristics uh, sensitive, sensitivity um hmm. till, till small parameters you know for system design and of course, you know, the, the vibroacoustic design. Uh, you also get the uh, bottom left there suspension. You can see what the, you know, maximum excursion limits would be and uh, and, and optimize that for that particular application. Mm. Yeah, we, you know, you, everything here is driven by the target of having linear motion of the voice coil and, and behavior of, of the membrane, the, the cone or, or tweeter cone, and whatever the case would be. So that's very interesting. You can actually derive the small parameters from that uh, simulation. Mm, yes. Mm -hmm. Cool. Okay. All right. All right. Well, um, another part of our uh, investment in, uh, in the R&D center was to set up our uh, acoustics laboratory. And this is a, a dedicated space so that we can measure loudspeakers behavior using some tools from Clipple one being the R&D system, which can, you know, help understand linearity, um, force factor, et cetera. And, um, and, and also, and, you know, and, and both of these tools are, are designed to help optimize the design of the, the speaker and overcome some, some of the challenges that were previously really difficult to measure. Um, and also the clipple scan and vibrometer. So, you know, this this can can measure measure vibration and animate it, and um, you know, modal analysis of of the mechanical movement of of cones and surrounds and so forth. But I think Tom's Tom's definitely had more experience of this than I. So maybe, maybe you have something to add here, Tom. Right. Yeah. And in, in the old days, if you had a lower frequency anomaly going on with a, a you know a, a moving system. You could use a strobe light and, and hope hope that you could see it. You know, a little chalk does strobe light. Uh, this yeah. obviously higher frequency. You, you, the, the human eye can't see that. So this this will actually do a laser scan of the, the system in motion, and then it will provide some amplification to the motion, so you can see you know any any problem areas. Um, I did a a tweeter two years ago, and you know saw the the very apex of the tweeter dome was misbehaving. And, uh, you know, you can stiffen the material, you can add ribs, you can add treatments and, and then, you know, run the scan again. And, you know, it's, a, it's again, it's, it's something we didn't have back in the day. And it's a, yeah. it's a very handy tool. I'd love to uh, see a comparison between like the chalk dust and the old methods versus uh, <laughs> that'd be yeah. a fantastic demonstration. There's a lot more dramatic to see the old ways than the, the new right. ones are kind of, it, it's, it's just perfect the first time, but the, mm -hmm. uh, all, all the, yeah. uh, all the all the the nuts and bolts and grease to get it done the old way is interesting. Anyways, yeah. we're we're in so you 2021. Can imagine the of, <laughs> you can imagine the amount of prototypes that would have had to yeah, be yeah. built to, yeah. to validate. Yeah, know. I mean, uh, I I know like in consumer electronics, you, if if you deal with people like like Apple for instance, they don't do anything without simulation. They won't like, and uh, I guess you guys are the same. Like you just start with simulation and that's it. No. No prototype, no trial and error, I guess, is the summary. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah well, it's, it's, sorry, Tom. I was going to say, it's, it's a bit of a feedback loop, you know, especially when you're entering 
material properties into the, the COMSOL uh, mm-hmm. interface because you learn, you know, as you go, you know, the modulus of the material and, and, uh, you know, and so it's, it's, it's a learning process as, as you develop these drivers. And then, and then of course it becomes polished and fine tuned and gets even quicker. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay. Um, okay. Another part of the Italian investment um, is uh, we, we, we created a measurement chamber in Italy so that we could do fast measurements um, there as well. Um, not, not anechoic, but still good enough to do accurate enough measurements for, for, for com- comparison or for, for, for evaluating speakers. Um, and then we've also got a dedicated listening room, which is, um, believe it or not, sometimes an overlooked aspect um, for pro audio speakers, because um, actually listening to them, I think, is, is very important in terms of, of, of seeing if you've hit your acoustic target, because materials, you know, different materials might deliver a similar performance on paper, but actually listen, on listening, they sound slightly different, um, which, um, which is, you know, something that's really, really valuable, especially when we're trying to hit a specific target for a customer or, you know, a, a sonic target. To what extent do you think that uh, when you take a set of measured data, how perfectly does that reflect the subjective and, uh, impression? Um, yeah, I, th- I think I think when if you were looking, maybe Tom, you can correct me, but when you're looking at maybe compression drivers, for example, you know, on paper you can see quite a lot of the response, and, and I, I think maybe with woofers because of the nature of paper and materials and treatments and stuff, it can be a little bit more subjective. But uh, I don't know if you've got you've got more experience of that than me, Tom. Yeah, sure, and and it depends on the application. Um... If, if you're working on a musical instrument speaker, those those devices actually are part of the signal chain and add color to the signal, right? Guitar and bass speakers. So, um, you know, you've got a something that looks like a nice, you know, the world loves to look at response curves and, and, and how linear they may be. But if, if a device is missing some like second order distortion on the low end, then you've lost the warmth of the performance. Mm. Mm. So, like you said, the, the curves are not uh, the end all. It still takes, you know, these things at the end of the day, right? And and we correlate what we see with what we hear. Right. So I do a bit of headphone measurement and listening myself. And uh, the, the uh, broad strokes, it's pretty clear from a measurement if something's going to sound good or not. But when it gets down to the finer detail, it's not always that easy to say, look at a curve and say this one sounds better than that one. You know, this right. Right. And exactly, because you can have narrow peaks or dips in the response that the, the human ear really doesn't pick up on those things. Right. It's, yep. uh, it does its own averaging. So, yeah, good point. Mm. All right. OK. OK, so I'll pass over to Tom here because we're going to talk about our uh, a bit of a, a few a few what we consider innovations within our business at the moment. So uh, over to you, Tom. All right. Um, I don't have the picture yet. Is it? Uh, there we go. Thank <sighs> you. Yep. Bingo. Um, well, you guys have probably seen the uh, diaphragm assembly off of a compression driver. And uh, mm-hmm. this is a two slot phase plug. And as you see in the highlighted areas, we've got, uh, you know, where it's snapped together. That's a typical method of assembly. You can see that there's not a uniform surface to the phase plug. And, and obviously it 20k you know you're talking about a wavelength that's uh you know a fraction of an inch so these anomalies uh, first of all as sections of the plug are closer to the dome now you don't have uniform pressure under the dome in each of these areas is is it is it highlighting that some of those parts are slightly protruding and some are slightly recessed yeah some are some are proud some are recessed of of there so you've got some height variation and and that has to do with uh one, you know, tolerances of, of an injection molded part. Two, you know, how these things are assembled. You know, they're typically put together with a one part, you know, cyanoacrylate and just kind of pressed, you know, with a, a female tool comes down and presses those into place. Right. And, uh, you know, it's a it's an imperfect world. And, and that's what you end up with in many cases. And so our solution to this. Next mm. slide there. Is uh, the integral input surface where we're we're molding one piece 
that's on top rather than three uh, concentric pieces. So now you've got a, a perfectly smooth uh, surface, uh, common distance to the plug, uniform pressure. Now the, the other thing, well, let's jump to the next slide there, Kevin, because the other thing that this affords you is now you see the pathways which need to be equal for you know proper phase response through each channel so that the path you know the, the wavelength mm. are all meeting there uh, with this type of topology uh, you don't have variations in path length either so you've got uniform pressure on the top and then you've got uh, nice phase cohesion on on the exit side mm. yeah and i think um i think going back and maybe even still today some companies would machine that imperfect surface tom that's correct yeah that's one method mm. of doing that mm. yeah and so so this is really um you know it's a very simple idea that that actually works for us and um it just means that we have you know in terms of our production we have more consistent devices coming off the production line um partly due to this technology because we're we're taking away that risk of this high pressure input surface having any misalignments in there and causing issues and the response, you know, so it's, uh, and it's eliminate, uh, simple, but effective. And eliminated the need to machine. So, you know, it's a pretty fluid process. Okay. Yeah. I'm not actually all that familiar with the phase plug. You mentioned a two slot phase plug. Mm -hmm. yes, Is there a three slot? Is there this a, one here, this one here's a three slot, sir. The larger the format, uh, the more pathways that you have. I see. I get it now. Yeah. Yep, sorry, this, two, this, two annular slots, there's three. And so traditionally yeah. they're making it in separate parts because you've got to make this tortuous path, a curved yes, path. Yes, that's correct. Yeah, yeah not, correct. not something that's easily molded up, you know, yeah. as you look at that, yeah. Ah, very interesting, yeah. Now, wow. you, you know, you can, you can 3D print these for prototypes. The problem is, you know, the material's not dense enough. You know, to, and, of course, you know, in production, mm. you won't be able to keep up, so... Uh, but you, but you, for prototyping, you can use, a, you know, a, like a filled material to prototype these. You, there, there's some losses yep. associated with that because there's usually mm. a high, high glass fill uh, to this, and, and and they've even been made of metal in some applications for density. Okay. Awesome. Very cool. Yeah, fun stuff. Cool. Okay. All right. Well, and um, oh, this this shows you. Oh, this is um. Sorry. Wake up, Kevin. Um, this this is another um, innovation of ours, which not technically an innovation in terms of moving the market forward, but um, in terms of, of us improving our category of compression drivers, um, we we created uh, a new range, um, maybe which have been available over the last two years. And uh, what basically was because because we started out ten years ago with the plan to develop a range of compression drivers. Um, our approach was slightly different to, to how we've ended up taking this. And um, what we found with our first generation of compression drivers is customers were, were appreciating them and we sell them a lot. But when we were being compared with some of our competitors, we were kind of missing out the mark slightly in terms of one price and then two acoustic performance. So by no means are they bad compression drivers, our previous ones, but they just weren't getting us to where we think we should be. So our team were tasked a few years ago to, to really look at what we can do in terms of improving performance and also improving the cost base of, of our range. And they went back to the drawing board basically and analyzed all of the production processes that we had adopted um, and um, really tried to find out the mechanical limits of these processes and then apply that when we were, you know, looking to achieve the acoustic target. And then ultimately what, what they've done is really created uh, an amazing range of products that put us on the map really for, for compression drivers. And um, we are competing with some, some of the best competitors on the market for HF with, with these units. So for us, it's amazing because We've always done very well with low frequency devices, you know, woofers, subwoofers, and um, HF was a growth area for us, and we're doing very well with these. So the general, the general trend of these is really excellent distortion management, but also all of the units have a very similar uh, linear frequency trend, um, which, 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 you know, 
in most cases go up to 20 kilohertz. Now, some some designers might say, well, that doesn't really matter because you don't really need, you know, you can't really hear that, that high, but better to have it than not. And, and lots of our competitors are all doing very similar um, responses in terms of achieving this linear frequency response. So what we have at the moment, we've got 15 models. We've got more models coming out. Um, anything from a one inch uh, voice coil up to a three inch voice coil. Actually, that's wrong up to a four inch voice coil actually. Um, and, and as I say, low distortion characteristic, nice, elegant designs and linear frequency responses. And do you have uh, like interchangeable models, whether, okay, now you're showing it here, either Neo or Ferrite. Um, I know that Neo is going to be an issue for the next few months at least. So, uh, <laughs> it's already an issue. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, no, we, 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 we specialize in both um, in, in most of our product categories. Um, and obviously Ferrite has a cost advantage. Um, but, um, and of course the magic is obviously making make, making the, the ferrite motor um you know do a great job um you know it's a, a little bit more easier with a, a high power neodymium motor structure but mm -hmm. you can see in all of these graphs you know we've got a 35 watt design here with a very linear frequency trend 60 watt design the neo version here again very linear response and then this is our new latest edition which is a 1.4 inch uh, with a three inch coil and uh, again we're, we're getting a lot of great response from these um you know the price is right the performance is excellent and the distortion level is in many cases you know better than some of our competitors so we have to take the hats off to our our hats off to our team um, to okay. be honest would you mind educating me a little bit on the compression drivers so the measurement is the it uh, running by itself in an on-axis measurement or as a horn attached to it? No, that's right. It's a, a specific, on a data sheet, it's a specified horn. So um, we, we, we have our aluminium horns um, on all of these, these, these measurements. Yeah, it's a specified either a one inch or 1.4 inch for these horns. So it's the same okay. horn traditionally for a one inch, one inch exit compression driver, we use the same horn on, on all measurements. I see. And that uh, characteristic where it uh, slopes downwards from its, its fundamental resonance, yes, it, whatever it is, is that a feature of a horn's behavior? Where, where does that come from? You talk about the frequency response. Yeah, yeah. So it actually uh, it, it rolls off, not rolls off, but it has a downward trend from resonance to high frequency. Yeah, Tom, you can... Yeah. Uh, Sure. Yeah, on, on any transducer, not just compression drivers, there's a, a region where you know, you're fighting the mass controlled nature of, of, of the driver. Yep. You know, you, and then, then if you'll notice, you know, we, we do some inductance management, but now you have a rising inductance as well that pulls the response down. So you have mm -hmm. mass and inductance that you're you're being challenged, you know, to, to keep the response uh, level. And um, typically these these devices are used with uh, well obviously today the advent of you know and affordability of dsp there's a there's a, a lot of um processing that's applied you know in, in large pro systems you know column arrays line arrays and uh, that as kevin said that that top end uh, is there uh, so that the in the designer can do with it as as he uh, chooses um yep. you know if, if you guys okay so uh, so yeah. that that characteristic that's that's the physics of the device rather than a design yes. intent that's correct yeah. yes yeah it's uh, as as you take something especially in the lower right you know that's three inches in diameter now you're trying to get it to 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 move at twenty thousand times a second yep. you know you've got the inductance and, and the mass yep. and uh, and and if you'll note we're still at a hundred decibels you know one watt one meter yep. there so yep. It's pretty, it's, uh, pretty yeah. much trivial to uh, put a filter on that to get whatever shape, yeah. shape you want out of it in the end. Very good. All right. Okay. All right. Moving on. Um, now, Tom's Tom's going to talk about our ultra low distortion design for woofers. Yeah, as you know, as you develop families of drivers, uh, you know, you, you use a lot of common parts for the motors, and you know, for for many, you know. Uh, cost of manufacturing, ease of ease of assembly, and so uh, this specific design has been uh, really optimized uh, to to lower the distortion in the unit. The sources of distortion 
question or, you know, obviously um, the first one is, you know, I mentioned second harmonic, you've got third harmonic you know, with non, you know, with asymmetric coil motion. And so as you see in this, what you may not be able to see quite as easy, but there is a, um, a shorting ring applied just below the voice coil on the inside of the, um, of the yeah, return path. Thank you, sir. And, <laughs> and so that, that shorting ring, you know, takes care of, of, uh, uh some distortion. You also have the advantage uh, when we say careful management of constant uh, inductance over excursion, uh, you've got a very linear uh, flux path there uh, due to the shaped pole piece. You see there's a little T-section on the top of that. You know, a, lo a lot of uh, motors just have a straight wall and, and that provides a little bit of asymmetry at the top. So we've got a focused magnetic field. Uh, the suspension's optimized obviously to uh, afford linear excursion over the range of the voice coil. Uh, this particular motor is is saturated uh, magnetically so that there's no um, modulation distortion. If you guys are familiar with that, term. you know, the voice coil is, you know, a, a loudspeaker is actually a motor and a generator. If you drive through a restaurant, uh, you know, drive through, sometimes they use the loudspeaker as the microphone. All right. So your yeah. your voice is activating the cone. You're generating a signal that goes back to an amplifier. Uh, and so when a speaker is doing its thing, it's generating a back, you know, electromotive force. And to minimize um, the interaction of that with the flux and the gap, you just fine tune the motor. So and have strong enough magnetic mm -hmm. uh, energy there that you cannot modulate the, the field in the gap itself. So that lowers that distortion component. Th this type of driver is used in a uh, like a really high profile line array application. Okay. Is, it, yeah. uh, is it is it a challenging thing to reach the saturation field strength? Uh, to do it evenly so that you're controlling it, yeah, it's it's a bit of a challenge. Um, a lot of drivers will have a what's called a choke point, a, a place where there's uh, a limit to how much flux can flow through there but that does not uh, provide the same effect that this has. This, this is the entire path is saturated. Mm. And, and so, yeah, I think that, it, that, that takes a lot of work in, uh, in Comsol to, to, to get that optimized. Right, right. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, a, 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 a demodulating ring doesn't tend to have too much effect on the lower frequency. So this is really, you can, you can, it's quite common to manage inductance, you know, above where the, the modulating ring works, but um, anything below is usually quite right. difficult. So this really, really offers a flat inductance across the whole operating band of, of, a, of a transducer. Right. But to answer your question in terms of it being difficult, it is challenging because you're just optimizing, um, you know, standard parts of a, of, a, of a speaker design and it takes a lot of uh, simulation. But of course, to achieve it in this design, especially, it also takes a lot more magnet as well to create that saturation. So they tend to be slightly, well, a lot more expensive than your traditional transducer. Mm. Right. And at higher frequencies, that's where there's more sensitive to distortion. You know, at, at lower frequencies, um, there, you know, there's actually base augmentation that, that is uh, processed distortion at low frequencies. So your ear just kind of receives that base information, not distortion. At higher frequencies, it's, it's very, uh, very keen to, to discerning distortion. So that's, that's, you know, add that note to Kevin's comment on the higher frequency. Mm. All right. All yeah, right. And, so, um, go ahead, Kevin. Sorry, Tom. No, no, carry on. Oh, I was going to say this, this plot at first is a little difficult to fully understand. Uh, but this red line is, is the driver we just saw. And what it's, what's going on here is, is the curves are normalized at 3% THD. And so it, you can just see what the maximum output is at that 3% level. Okay. 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 So moving on just so that we don't, don't forget subwoofers. Um, as I've mentioned before, we've, we've, we've done very well in this category, low frequency and especially subwoofers because we've, we're delivering product that, that is, uh, you know, impressive, reliable, consistent, does what it says, you know. Um, 
And um, but we're also very much involved. You know, we're now doing 21 inch with 5.3 inch voice cores, with a pretty, with a, which are pretty high performance designs. And um, more recently, we're we're now looking at uh, low impedance designs. So traditionally, subwoofers would be eight ohm or four ohm, for example. Whereas this this 18 is a two ohm design, but it's designed for you know real high performance applications. So in this speaker, we've also adapted this ultra low distortion design in terms of flat inductance, excellent distortion management, um, and also the benefits. Part of the benefits of that, you know, with such a good thermal design, it has excellent power compression. So this is a, a two ohm design, four and a half inch coil, um, you know, with a specified X max of nearly 20, 20 millimeters. So it's a, it's an impressive beast. And uh, being two ohm, lots of people can make full use of, of their, ampli you know, their amplifiers capabilities. So it should be an interesting one, um, especially in distribution for us. Um, what you just mentioned briefly, uh, what, what's the difference or advantage of two ohm versus eight four? Well, uh, amplifiers can work at a specified in, impedance or, or optimize at a specified impedance. So, um, some amplifiers are still stable at low impedance. Um, so you can, you know, traditionally, if you've got an amplifier and you want to run a, a double eighteen, but you can only find eight ohm woofers that the trick you can only create a four ohm load where what we're offering here is you can you can if you've got an amplifier that works stably at two ohms you can add one of these onto your amp and get the full benefit of the amplifier you know um, it's only one it's a it's a part of the market especially in the diy you know sound system scene where people are making their own cabinets and stuff where it could be quite attractive for these guys to have a you know such a low impedance extreme type of, of subwoofer design you know um, but yeah okay and then all right so that's that's <clears throat> kind of our r d and uh some some of the innovations and technologies that we've been doing and uh we'll now dive into our facility in china so here's here's an over an overhead view um and it's uh this this was purpose built by us in 2014 so it has uh, lots of space available for, for expansion and uh, you can see on the left the white building here is the warehouse factory management offices engineering offices and then the staff quarters behind and then you can see the obligatory basketball court mm -hmm. um, but um, yeah but this we, we employ around 325 people here and it's uh, an ISO 9001 accredited facility you know so it's uh it's an impressive place once you you know if you, if, and you guys are always welcome obviously to, to come and visit yeah as soon as the border opens <laughs> yes yeah although if you speak to people in china everything's normal yeah <laughs> i know just time. yeah just from hong kong normally we'd go three days a week at least into the factories but now we just sit and talk on zoom for the last year <laughs> yeah i think that's all of our world at the moment Totally. Um, so in terms of our engineering department, um, we, we obviously have project teams managing the production process, but we also have on-site on electroacoustic engineers to aid with, um, you know, projects and so forth. Um, one thing that we're missing, obviously, at the moment is we normally have uh, our Italian colleagues there um, mm -hmm. helping things along. And so, you know, one of the the challenges we've had is obviously to maintain momentum in our development process without having the Italians on site and uh, which we're managing, but of course it's much easier when we've got the, the hands-on guys there. Um, and in terms of um, our team, you know, we've got a dedicated sampling team, testing department, and I'll talk about those in a second. And of course the facilities equipped with Clipple R&D and also their quality control system, which, um, I'll, I'll talk about as well. All right. So in terms of measurement capability, uh, we have a, a very nice semi-anechoic chamber on site, which was co-designed with Nanjing University, which is a, a well-known acoustics uh, academy, if you like. And uh, this is a controlled environment, humidity and temperature control. 
and uh, it's designed with quick change panels in the floor and obviously we can do off-axis responses all at the same time. So it's a really practical, you know, environment and, you know, good environment for, for measurement. For power and life testing, um, last year we finished a new building on site which houses our uh, power and life testing. Uh, but it was done in two adapted containers in, in the car park. Uh, uh, now it's a, a dedicated, slicker environment, um, obviously bigger, a bigger space. And uh, we run our two-hour AES power tests and uh, a 100-hour life test on our products as part of the validation process. All that, all, we use power soft amplification. And, uh, just, uh, to, just a just a note, I find interesting. A lot of people watching, they might think, "Oh, in a in a in a sea container or something, you're building uh, part of your factory." That's quite normal with uh, factories. Uh, it's uh, have modular uh, automated painting lines inside sea containers. So, um, oh really? It, it, oh yeah, it's like uh, so. Just to be modular, it's yeah, it's this this kind of lean and mean the manufacturing. So it's so everybody watching. This is this is kind of normal stuff uh, in China. <laughs> well, this this isn't this isn't. I mean, this is what we used to use. But um, okay. this is a, a a building that we we finished last year was a as a, a dedicated building because uh, we needed right. really the ability to, to do more measurements. You know, without we could have added another container, but <laughs> and, and and they work work very well. But this is a much better environment. Um, sure, sure, okay. And, and to do these measurements, we use um, Clipple Power Monitorate and True Technologies uh, equipment and software. And uh, this enables us to do 56 speakers measurements at the same time. Now, it doesn't mean we can do 56 different measurements um, because inherent, you know, usually you might want to do the same test on multi a multiple of speakers. Um, but we have enough capability to, to, you know, to meet our demand you know, in terms of, of, of measurements and stuff. And this, these systems, you know, generally are, are real-time measurement of loudspeaker parameters. So when things do go wrong or the speaker fails, we, we know what, what caused it quite quickly by the data that these systems um, give us. Okay. So um, I know, Tom, you've used some of this equipment before, haven't you, um, in your yes. previous yeah, slides? Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, real handy for, you know, obviously with, with a driver under a life test, you're looking for a certain amount of break-in. So if uh, if the, uh, you know, resonance of the driver is falling too far, you know, below, you know, an expected percentage, say, you know, 10%, then you, you would, you know, stop the test, you know. And obviously if you're having some kind of failure, as Kevin indicated, it, uh, it shows up very quickly. Mm. Okay. Okay. And... Also, um, we are um, finalizing our testing building. So we, previous to this, we had kind of testing machinery dotted around the factory. And um, actually, because of the partnerships that we have with some of our customers and, uh, and to meet their requirements in terms of testing, because obviously it does vary the expectations of, of some of our customers. And we deal with some of the most demanding um, so we've decided to make some significant investment in, again, with a dedicated building just for testing and also to consolidate existing equipment, but also to add some new equipment um, to, to, you know, to, to, to make, make us cutting edge when it comes to, you know, validating and meeting our customers' expectations. I like, I like that you have the IP6, which is the dust specification, which would probably be for our you know, Burning Man or Coachella type PA speakers to see how they handle the dust protection. Oh, I think I'll use that um, <laughs> next time I talk to my customers. Um, sure. But yeah, yeah, I mean, we, we, we also have a, a really nice range of marine speakers as well yeah. with the car audio side. So, so we've not progressed into that. I mean, there is a certain amount of waterproofing requirement for pro audio, of course. Um, yeah, but not, but dust, not quite the same as marine. But. Yeah, but dust is a thing that's impacted in pro and like, you know, in, in, a, yeah. in a nightclub or at a, an outdoor event. Uh, dust is a, is a much bigger problem than in the consumer world of, uh, of, of audio. Yeah, no, 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 you're absolutely right. You know, we find some of our speakers in... Uh, 
you know, applications that we never dreamed. You know, we have we have some in uh, uh, currently in a wireless system uh, in a consumer good. You know, oh, so wow. that IP6 applies there as well. Um, uh, you know, musical instrument, uh, portable PA. So yeah, it's very important uh, criteria for some of our customers. Yeah, yeah. PA sitting in a moldy old bar uh, just <laughs> tend to get <laughs> tend to get dirty. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay, uh, we move on. The, the next slide about our IQC. Of course, this is an immensely important part of our uh, management um, and quality control. So every every component that comes into the building um, is is followed with a, a quality control procedure, um, so that we can validate all of those parts before we move them into into production. So. It's a, a really a part that we talk about a lot that's, you know, really critical in, in making us successful. Okay. And in terms of finished product quality control, um, every single speaker that we produce um, is tested using um, a Clipple QC system, which is a quality management system that, that records the performance of the speaker. Uh, as it comes off the production line. And um, that information is then linked with a barcode that we barcode on, on each speaker so that we know exactly what the performance was of the speaker when it left our facility. Mm -hmm. um, and then we also run voice core positioning, sweep tests, resonance, et cetera. Um, and of course, batch testing on, on production batches. So it's, you know, unexpected, but we, we care a lot about these aspects because that's what's, you know, making us successful, um, ultimately. Okay. In terms of warehousing, we, we generally warehouse uh, at our facility in China. Um, so we carry a lot of our standard items in stock and, and some of our customized products for our customers. We, we At this time, we don't generally stock Lavoci in Italy, but we're looking at various other, you know, warehousing plans globally at the moment. So um, watch this space. But um, we tend to do very well out of this location because we invest a lot in inventory to, to make sure that we can meet the demands of our distributors and customers that are taking standard products. And it's, it's operated with a first in, first out, you know, okay. uh, policy and um, everything is, um, oh, not break, uh, you know, we, we know exactly where everything is in the warehouse because it's um, you know, managed by uh, radio frequency, et cetera. Are, are speakers uh, something that's um, uh, with within the, the tax issues going into the U.S. As, as a standalone transducer? Is that an issue for tax for people importing? Yeah, I think um, it, it's not as a component for manufacturing. It's not as as highly taxed uh, as, as, as the finished system. system is. Okay. Yeah. So, so for, for us, it, the impact... Uh, it's not been too bad because it's actually it's not it's not a very high percentage compared to a finished system you know because obviously that's trying to protect manufacturing in in the usa but as a component part it's been manageable thankfully uh, for us okay yeah so a couple of slides just to summarize you know this is this is where we where lavochi strengths lie um we we make woofers to be used with a high frequency device, three inch to 15 inch, um, 30 watts to 600 watts kind of power handling. Mid ranges, five inch to 10, um, you know, dedicated for, for that type of application. Subwoofers, we do eight inch all the way up to 21 inch with a, two and a 2000 watt AES power handling. So serious stuff. Yeah. And then full ranges, full ranges, we do two inch, three inch and four inch. And we're very successful in this category because it's a, uh, the products do very well for pro audio applications, you know, column arrays, that type of type right. of design. Um, compression drivers, we've already touched base with. We do, we even we even do a little 0.75 inch exit uh, compression driver, which is you know minuscule, you know, 45 millimeters in diameter, mm -hmm. um, um, all the way up to two inch exit designs um coaxials we've got five and a six in our range at the moment but um we're, we're working on this category as we speak in terms of de delivering some high performance 
products. Tweeters, we do one inch and 1.3 inch designs, um, which, which are very nice. You know, they're, they're really nice frequency responses and uh, good for some pro applications. And of course, we can't forget bass and guitar. You know, bass and guitar, we're actually quite successful in because bass guitar is a, an extension to pro, a pro audio speaker. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, you know, and it's a, you know, there, there's still some serious business that can be had in the MI sector for guitar amplifiers and so forth. So it's a category that we, 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 we still respect, if you like. <laughs> so in summary, um, Lavochi is, you know, uh, a, a place where we design HF and LF transducers and, and manufacture, you know, for the pro audio and MI industry. The brand was launched in 2012. So technically we're, we're uh, nine years old as a brand. So we feel we've done a lot in, in, in that time in terms of raising our profile as a serious, uh, you know, competitor. Um, to summarize our business, 85% of our sales are, are really to manufacturers, you know, for, for customers that, that are, are designing their own cabinets and, and so forth. Um, and that will always remain our core core business. But we also have a growing distribution business, which um, satisfies a need for people designing their own sound systems and, and small manufacturers. And uh, depending on which markets you look at, that can be quite big business, uh, especially in South America and, and India, for example. Mm. Um, and actually, we do very well in, in Vietnam and Indonesia uh, in, in this, this respect as well. Um, we exhibit... Uh, ISC, uh, ProLight and Sound, the Frankfurt, Guangzhou and Shanghai, and also the NAM show and, and uh, a local show in Italy, which we like to show our support for, for the local local business, uh, Music Inside Rimini. And um, we're just about to launch our new catalogue, um, should be available sometime in, in, in April um, in PDF format, um, which will have lots of other new products in, you know, so we're you know, we're in a, uh, an interesting uh, growth phase for the company. It was lots of lots of good stuff to talk about. So, yeah. Okay. And there we go. All right. Well, let's... Uh, Thank you very much, gentlemen. Go back to talking to us. All right. So, yeah, that's a, a lot of information, a good, uh, good kind of uh, update. And uh, I guess kind of online brochure now for uh, Lavoce. So everybody <laughs> to learn about the company and... and, and uh, but uh, don't uh, forego a visit to Shanghai or Italy uh, if you need to, to, to meet these guys. Uh, hey, one um, thing, uh, Kevin, ahead, just before we uh, uh, call it a night, call it a day, um, the, uh, you're selling a lot to uh, other manufacturers putting the speakers into their cabinets. Uh, do you still get brand recognition? Um, do people know that it's a Lavoce driver in that product? Oh, it's an in, it's an interesting thing. I think um, time is the the thing that that makes your speaker recognisable. Um, so, go back five years. I think people wouldn't have recognised a Lavoci basket or a Lavoci rear cover for a compression driver. But now that we've you know we're we're, we're our brand recognition is is a lot higher than it was let's say five years ago. Um, the industry, I, I strongly believe, now recognise. You know, Lavochi, a Lavochi speaker in a cabinet. Yeah, you know, we, 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 when we speak with distributors and so forth, you know, inherently a lot of those already know us because they're, they're distributing a brand that's already using Lavochi and they may have been told by that brand what the speaker is or, you know, and that word of mouth tends to, you know, gradually get out into the marketplace. So everyone becomes a bit more familiar with, with how our products look. Yeah, I don't know much about Proto, but I can imagine in that space, uh, the end customers are interested in which drivers are in the cabinets more so than perhaps home audio people. There's just just a speaker, the, the brand is there who have made the final cabinet, you know? Yeah, yeah. I think there's a, a validation, isn't there? You know, the, the interestingly, you know, we, we, we obviously like people knowing which that Lavoche has been used in the cabinet, but of course, lots of our customers don't talk about that because yeah. they're, they're, they're talking about the whole system design, which is absolutely fine. But I think um, a lot of the end users want reassurance that the speaker is something that's 
has validation in terms of of it being yeah. good enough to what it it does and and i think you know we, we we've got a little way to go but i think the market definitely sees lavoci as a as a an equal in many respects to some of our european uh competitors you know so but we keep on striving we you know we keep on working on our marketing and trying to raise the brand profile and so forth and i, and I think it's working so all right. Thanks. Well, good stuff. I think uh, that was a very comprehensive uh, view into the world of Lavoce. So I think maybe we'll we'll call it there for this episode. So everybody, please uh, hit your comments below. We'll make sure those any questions and everything get in front of uh, uh, Tom and Kevin here, so they can uh, answer your questions from the the universe of YouTube. So uh, also like, subscribe, and and share and amplify the podcast. Uh, so all right. Thanks for watching, everybody. Bye bye. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. Ciao.